The Lord be with you. Together, let us pray the prayer for illumination. Living God, help us to hear your holy word so that we may truly understand, believe, and follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please rise as you are able in reverence to the gospel reading. A reading from the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, the 20th chapter. We will be reading verses 1 through 16, and if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, it starts on page 21 in the New Testament. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again at noon and again about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call all the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last only worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God.
Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we're reading together verses 5 through 16. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander in his army, an appointment that was applauded by the fighting men and officers alike. But something happened when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed Goliath. Women came out from all the towns along the way to celebrate and to cheer for King Saul, and they sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, in fact, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave like a madman. David began to play the harp as he did whenever this happened. But Saul, who had a spear in his hand, suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David jumped aside and escaped. This happened another time, too, for Saul was afraid of him, and he was jealous because the Lord had left him and was now with David. Finally, Saul banned him from his presence and appointed him commander over only a thousand men. But David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, greetings, friends, in the gracious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is truly my blessing to be here with you at First Salisbury and especially to be worshiping with you on this second Sunday in Lent. I am very grateful to Pastor Mark and others of your ministry team who have extended this invitation to join you on this Lenten journey as you explore together the impact of sin on our lives. Now, let's be honest. Some of us aren't all together thrilled when we hear that we're going to have a sermon series on sin. Can I get a witness? <laughs> I mean, after all, wouldn't we much rather be talking about grace? And yet, during the season of Lent, <coughs> excuse me, not only is it appropriate, it's even important that we identify what might be distorting the image of Christ in all of us and even in our church. <coughs> Excuse me. So this morning, we are going to explore how envy 
might be distorting and derailing our lives and even the impact that envy can have on our ministry as well. So, what is envy? Well, envy could be described as the insatiable, all-consuming desire for what others have, whether it's coveting someone else's possessions, their traits, their opportunities, or their advantages. And at the root of envy is the trap of comparison. Envy is the subject of many, many characters in great literature, from Shakespeare's Othello to Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen. However, one of the most iconic and most memorable examples of envy in literature comes from Brother Grimm's fairy tale, Snow White, through the evil queen, so memorably depicted by Disney. We will remember that each day the queen would peer into the mirror and ask, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is fairest of them all? And all was well in the land until that fateful day when the mirror replied that Snow White was in fact the fairest. And from that day forward, the queen was consumed with envy. In fact, it is in Grimm's telling of this tale, when the evil queen's reflection came back to her green, that the phrase was first introduced, turning green with envy. Now, as soon as the queen began comparing herself to Snow White, she was consumed with wanting what Snow White had. In this particular case, she wanted Snow White's youth and beauty. And as the story goes, because of her envy, the queen tried to destroy Snow White. And yet, ultimately, it was the queen's own envy that instead destroyed herself which is often the effect of envy, as it was for King Saul. In our Old Testament reading today from 1 Samuel, we hear that all was well in the kingdom and for King Saul. We hear that Israel, in fact, had had a major victory over the Philistines with David's killing of Goliath. Scripture tells us that when the victorious troops were coming back home, the women of the towns rushed out to greet them, dancing and singing, cheering for King Saul. Saul has killed his thousands. But those words were followed with the fateful words, and David his ten thousands. Instead of hearing these words of celebration, King Saul only heard them as comparison. So he responded, what's this? They credit David with ten thousands and me only thousands. What's next? They're going to be wanting him to be their king. And then scripture tells us that from that moment on, Saul became envious of David and he kept a jealous watch over him. 
In fact, we hear that King Saul became consumed with this envy and that he began raving like a madman, his envy growing to the point of trying to destroy David, not once, but time and time again. Much like the evil queen in Snow White, King Saul's consuming envy with David led him to use other people to also be his instruments of destruction as well. Saul attempted to remove David without bloodying his own hands by sending David into the worst of battle and even through directed assassination attempts. But ultimately for King Saul, just as it was for the queen, King Saul's own envy isolated him from others, leading to his own downfall among the people, but most importantly, leading to his falling away from the favor of God. From the story of King Saul, we hear that envy only leads to our own self-destruction when our insatiable desire of what others have begins to consume us instead. British author Angus Wilson once wrote, Envy is impotent, numbed with fear, yet never ceasing in its appetite. Envy knows no gratification save endless self-torment. It has the ugliness of a, tra a trapped rat that has gnawed its own feet in this effort to escape. King Saul's envy of David led him to become numb with fear, becoming fearful not only of David but of everyone else, which led to his own unraveling despite the resources, the opportunities, and the blessings that surrounded him. When we hear King Saul's story, it, it leaves us wondering if there could have been another outcome. What if envy had not consumed the king? What if instead he had been able to see David not as an enemy to be envied, but rather as a young asset to be nurtured? From King Saul's story, we can glean two very important lessons. First, to avoid the sin of envy, we must avoid the trap of comparison. And second, the antidote for envy is gratitude. First, friends, we must remember that the root of envy is comparison. Therefore, the best way to avoid the sin of envy is to stop comparing ourselves with others. Once again, consider the evil queen in Snow White. She owned the entire kingdom. After all, she was queen. But in this tale, being queen was not enough. Her insatiable desire to be more beautiful, to be younger, consumed her and the kingdom. And this insatiable desire began when she started comparing herself to Snow White. 
And for King Saul, he also initially was filled with joy at the victory of the Israelites over the Philistines until he compared the praise of David's victories to the praise of his. Which, if we stop to think about it, is pretty foolish, isn't it? I mean, after all, weren't Saul and David fighting on the same side? Wasn't theirs a shared victory and not a competition between two foes? In today's gospel lesson from Matthew 20, we also hear another story of comparison in the parable of the vineyard workers. The vineyard workers who arrived early in the day were told the wage that they would receive for their work. It was a fair wage. It was a good wage. And all would have been well if they had simply received the pay that they had been promised and given. However, Jesus tells us that these workers compared themselves to the workers who arrived later in the day and yet who had received the same pay. Now at that point, the wage that had been good and fair by comparison no longer seemed fair or good enough. So these workers became angry. They became envious at what the other workers were given. For the evil queen, for King Saul, and for the vineyard workers, the trap had been of downfall, of envy, all began when they started comparing themselves to others. Now, many of us can think of times when we have compared ourselves with the image, the assets, or the accomplishments of other people. And unfortunately, what begins as a harmless comparison can eventually begin to consume our thoughts and our actions until we are no longer satisfied with ourselves or our circumstances. And then before we know it, our dissatisfaction leads us to become envious, angry, and at times even vengeful. It happens as we heard in the children's sermon, among siblings. It happens among co-workers. It happens among us as friends. It even happens among us as clergy. And yes, it even happens among us as churches. I mean, let's be honest. The trap of comparison is so easy. In fact, friends, the marketing tactics are based on it. Advertisements are constantly luring us to compare ourselves with some preferred image. Some image that makes us want to become thinner, richer, more popular, more accomplished. But what if instead of comparing ourselves to some manufactured image, instead we compared ourselves to the image and the will of Christ. Friends, God has uniquely created and gifted each one of us to be who we are, giving each of us unique gifts. 
We are each given different looks, different abilities, different passions, different opportunities. But if we keep longing for what others have, then we will never reach our God-given potential. And we will never fulfill God's will for our lives. But what's even worse, instead of experiencing the joy that God desires for us by living fully into what God has promised us, we become dissatisfied, even resentful and angry, because we continue to compare ourselves with others. And yet the reality is, we are surrounded by the temptation of comparison every day. Therefore, the sin of envy lurks closely as well. So friends, not if but when envy eventually starts to creep in, that's when we need to remember the second lesson from King Saul, the antidote for envy is gratitude. Just think about it. What if in today's story, King Saul, instead of giving in to the envy, had been thankful for the contributions of David and of their shared victory for Israel? After all, the victory did not belong to Saul or even to David. The victory belonged to God. And what if the vineyard workers, instead of being angry that the late arrivals had received equal pay, had instead been grateful, thankful for the generous wages that they had received? Friends, this is especially important for us to remember as a church because too often we also fall into the trap of comparing ourselves to others whether we see our church as being more than or less than. When we compare our assets, our opportunities, and especially our accomplishments, we fail to remember that God never created us. God never called or sent us to live and to be in competition with other churches. And we even fall in the trap, friends, of comparing our church today to some memory of who we were and what we did in the past as a church. Whether we're comparing our ministry to some other church or to some previous version of ourselves, we are also at risk of falling into this same cycle of dissatisfaction, anger, resentment, and envy that can become the downfall for us, just like it was for King Saul and the workers in the vineyard. Instead, friends, God has called and created us to live, as we heard in the children's sermon this morning, as the one body of Christ. All believers all servants, all pastors, all churches bringing together our differing gifts, our differing opportunities, our differing passions and possibilities, all for the purpose of serving our neighbors now. 
Because when we serve our neighbors together as churches, working in cooperation and never in competition, then and only then will we be able to be the church that God has called us to be. And once our community begins to see us as the church working collaboratively, offering the best of who we are, offering the best of what we can offer in a mutual and shared mission, then and only then will we be able to be the church that our community desperately needs. During this season of Lent, as we explore how to avoid the sin in our lives that derails us, I invite you, as a Lenten practice, to lean more intently into the practice of gratitude. To put it simply, let's be more thankful. Thankful for what we do have. Thankful for our health, for the gifts that we've received, for the future that God has placed before us. And let's be thankful for our life and ministry here as the church, for who we are, for where we are. Thankful for the opportunities, and yes, friends, even for the challenges. Because we know that through it all, God is with us. And God will use us right here, right now, in collaboration with our neighbors. So be it, friends, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.